Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of Anyways, Back to the Godfather. We have a very exciting <laughs> guest. <laughs> we are introducing Emma Patton. Hello. And also her dog is here, Georgia. We love her. She may hear sounds that we don't know. We'll just see. Georgia might have her two cents. snoring. To contribute. <laughs> yeah. She loves films. Oh, I love her. <laughs> but Emma, we just... But have to start out by talking about our history. So, <laughs> you moved in in 2018? Yeah, it was like December of 2017. I moved in right before okay. the break. So, Maddie, who was our first guest, <laughs> yeah. moved out and you took her spot. Mm-hmm. And it was weird how it happened. I was, <laughs> I was living with a close friend that I grew up with, like, probably my first close friend, and she had moved to Utah, and we had wanted to room forever. Um, and we finally like made it all happen and I was, yeah, I was living with her for the first semester. So for like four months and then I just, I was like, I, I need to move, which I hate moving. <laughs> and it was like a, it was like a good place. And I just, I was like, I really need to move. And it was such an awkward conversation right. because, but luckily we were, we're close enough that I was like, I need to move out. And she was like, is there anything that I did? Like, is there anything that I can do to make it easier here? And I was like, I don't really know why. <laughs> she was like, do you have a specific place you're going? And I was like, no, I'm just going to look. <laughs> so, yeah, I I still feel like that was some sort of intervention. I don't know. It was it, The timing was perfect. I wouldn't have been able to move in earlier because Maddie was still there. Right. And it was the perfect spot for me. So, yeah. It was so great. I remember the first time you came in, there was just like, a blur of red. <laughs> I feel like I saw your mom mostly. I like didn't actually see you, but I was like, there's a new girl. We've got to invite her in. Like, is that the voice you used? Yes. <laughs> Who's that goblin coming from the other room? Also, you weren't <laughs> kidding about Georgia snoring. Yeah, I know. She gets a little loud. Her snores are so cute. She sometimes awake snores. <laughs> Just in a very relaxed state. So yeah, you might hear that. Um, for the benefit of the podcast, my... Disney doppelganger is Merida from Brave. So it's true. That yes. is what they're referencing. She actually like was hired by a theater to dress up. <laughs> I was. I was. Point. So like a movie theater is amazing. A little extra that way. I think it's the first time gradual. we, yeah, I think the first time we, it kind of became like we got we might be friends. Yeah. Was when we first played Psych. Yeah. And Emma yeah. has this incredible knack of just like picking up on. What the incredible knack is, is that I tend to, especially in like a home situation, it's interesting having roommates as your friends. I don't usually do that um, or end up becoming friends because I'm my most introverted and like closed off when I'm in my home environment. Yeah. Um, so they would be, they'd be like, you want to watch a Disney movie with us? And I'd be like, no, I'm going to do a spreadsheet <laughs> I have to do my for my homework. class. Um, <laughs> Or like, I'm going to do a random project that I don't need to do by myself. <laughs> or finish like a class. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm not meaning to eavesdrop, but like I tend to, in order to like figure people out, I tend to like listen to, I don't know, pick up on their mannerisms or what are their, what's their sense of humor. Oh, we aren't very quiet. Yeah. And, yeah. So <laughs> the brownstone are very thin. Kind of hard to not And they'd all already been roommates. So yeah. there were a lot of, there was a lot of like rapport. So I... We ended up playing Psych. It's a lot about, I don't know, like, you do well if you have insight jokes with people. For sure. Um, 
and I won. <laughs> yeah. It was like, we didn't really have anything to do. No, that sounds rude. We, like, no, just yeah. didn't hang out very often. But No, you, like, like, we hadn't really. Us. And so then your nickname became FBI Emma, because you just, like, already knew all the jokes. But creeper <laughs> is what I am, so. And then we, I think we just, like, forced you to come do stuff. B12 was great. And then we all left. Lauren and I moved across the hall, but you moved out. Yeah. Because you were done with Brownstone. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was out. Understandably. But then we started up Harry Potter Book Club. Yes. And would, like, meet weekly. And so that was, I feel like, in some ways, that was more bonding than, like, actually yeah, living together. Yeah, that really that cemented things. Especially when your Ludo Bagman voice comes out. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I won't force you to do it here. Probably on an HPBC. It can it can come out at another time. <laughs> just, just wait for that. We are hoping to get... The other member of HPBC is Sarah Stoddard. We'll definitely have some HPBC podcasts in the future. Yeah. So look forward to that. Potterheads. Now you were back in Portland. And yes. we did, during the last year, do a lot of virtual hangouts, which was like largely due to COVID and we couldn't hang out anyway. Mm-hmm. So it was... We can rope Emma into these hangouts. And then we did go visit you yes. in, like, August, I think. Mm-hmm. But that was magical because we finally met Georgia, your dog, which was maybe the highlight. <laughs> That's <laughs> I fine. I don't want to go too hard and say that. But... There were several photo shoots where <laughs> people true. were like, can you take a picture of me spooning your dog? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I think those are yeah. out of my mouth. <laughs> but anyway, just delighted to be your friend. We have to go to the set questions now. You're given a, a preview for these four, so what's your favorite movie right now? I have two, because I'm... Verbosity is one of my weaknesses. Oh my um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire Ooh, and on Good Will Hunting. Uh-huh. Yeah, both of them Both of them are rated R, so... Uh, um, <laughs> but I would recommend them anyway. And, um, yeah, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is a more recent one. Yeah, I've heard good things about that. Yeah, it's, it's a lovely film it's very it's it's I'm not usually a watch a movie over and over kind of person um but that's one of the few that I feel like I could and then Goodwill Hunting is one of those ones do you ever see a movie in your at some point in your life and you're like ah like why didn't I watch this sooner like I could have used this five years ago but then at the same time it's like no I think you watch it when the time is right like it feels like it's the right exactly right time to watch it so uh, what, you have to recommend something now. Oh, no. <laughs> Apparently, I have a lot of suggestions for people. Um, <laughs> and a lot of them are pretty specific. Because I, you know, I have some podcasts or books or whatever that I could recommend. But, like, that was not where I wanted to go with this. The first thing that I want to say, <laughs> and this is the one that really stood out in my mind, because I am unsure of many things in my life. But one thing I am sure of, if you ever find yourself staying in a psychiatric facility... The thing you're going to want to bring with you, if you forget everything else, is a bathrobe of your own. A terry cloth bathrobe. They are going to take the sash, the tie, away from you at most places. That's fine. The towels that they provide you with in these facilities are very short. (laughs) They're very short. You have to make some tough choices about which parts of you you want to cover. And even with those tough choices, your roommate is going to see more of you than they bargained for. Okay. You're not going to be able to bend over to get stuff. It's going to be very uncomfortable. Often all the doors are open so that people can monitor you and your roommate has to get in the shower. So you're just in your room and you're the short little towel. (laughs) If you're tall or if you have a long torso, this is especially important. And listener, 
may you know that Emma is very tall. I'm 5'11", so these towels, I mean, they don't, they're not cutting it. <laughs> so get yourself a bathrobe because then you can just walk into your room, you can pick out your outfit, you can put on your lotion or whatever you do, your routine, without worrying. And if you need to get dressed, you can get dressed with that bathrobe still on. You can turn to a corner and <laughs> you get dressed. This is turning into just like a general life hack. It's well. it's a life hack. It's <laughs> And, you know, it should be terry cloth, but I'm not going to, you know, get too specific with that. And made this mistake a few times. It shouldn't be white because a lot of the linens at these senders are white. And they will think it is a towel and they will take it and they will... <gasps> Sent to a place to get cleaned, and you will never see it again. No. Just pick a color other than white. And people will covet you, okay? Oh people people will think you're so smart. <laughs> Cultivate a positive relationship with swear words, because I think, I don't think that there's, you don't have to say them all the time, but, like, be comfortable when the time's right, throwing down the right one and saying it with confidence, okay? <laughs> Along the same lines, learn a few raps, and those can be from Hamilton, you know, that can be Guns and Ships, but, like, Done. it could be Biggie Smalls. Oh, my god! If you want. But, like, that is a confidence booster, and probably ones that you're going to run into so you can impress your friends. <laughs> because you never know when Fergalicious is going to play, oh or when gosh. someone's going to set you up with, hit it, Fergie, and then you can just, you know, spit some rhymes. <laughs> I think I can honestly say no one in my life has ever told me to hit it, Fergie. <laughs> See, here's the thing, though. I thought that that would never happen, and it happened what? a few months ago. That's why I mentioned that instance specifically, because the way that I threw down, everybody stopped, looked at me, and was like, what? <laughs> Emma, you're just so much cooler than I am, though. It was really because I'd been practicing in my room, okay? This is, it does. It takes time and practice. Um, shop in the men's section of thrift stores. Trust me on that. But remember that the shirt button's on the other side. It'll throw you off every time. Oh my time. gosh. Um. Okay, pick one more thing because you're going to have to come back. That's so totally fine. You can't give us all your recommendations now. Oh, trust me, I have more. <laughs> the last one is make decisions about your date with the possibility in mind that the unlikely could happen. So if you're mm-hmm. dressing in a sloppy way, today might be the day you meet Anderson Cooper. Oh my The chance gosh. is low, but it is not zero. It is not zero. So you got to just be prepared. When you're selecting your undergarments in the morning, you might get in a horrible accident and somebody might have to cut your clothes off of you. That's not likely to happen. It's also not zero, though. So you got to be prepared for that. That's wow. it. In that case, you might want to wear your worst underwear so they cut your worst underwear. That's true. That's true, but also, I like to live my life prepared to give a show. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> So. Okay, this is a question of huge importance. Oh, yes. Spielberg versus Hitchcock. Gone back and forth on this. I'll be honest, I'm not as much of a film buff as these two, so I don't know as much about either of these directors. I did take a Hitchcock class. <laughs> so it's true. Hitchcock I is looming. Feels a little biased. Um, <laughs> Who do you like better? I think I'm gonna choose Spielberg. Oh. And here's why. Here's why. <laughs> I appreciate Hitchcock having a very specific niche and a very specific set of skills. But when I was looking at, because I did, I needed to Google a list of Spielberg's movies to know which ones we were talking about. Um, His range is very impressive. And the way that he's able to do a lot of different things very well is what is impressive to me. So That's really good. I I do really like Spielberg. That's not that I'm like, he's the worst. Yeah. Narratively, thematically, obviously my life has led me to a point where I love Alfred Hitchcock. I have his Funko Pop. but And I think it's also, I mean, like, I definitely have respect for specializing in something <laughs> and like True. being really good at a certain thing and be, 
being arguably the best wow. at something. Well, here I knew you'd taken your Hitchcock class. I was really thinking you were going to sway <laughs> Hitchcock. But I'm sorry. Point for Lauren. Yay. All right. Which character from The Godfather would you want to date? Here's the thing. Like, I don't feel like there's any right answer besides Michael. Yes. <laughs> um, and I... And, you know, I'd like to say that that has nothing to do with the way that Lauren sometimes cosplays him oh in such a sexy gosh. way. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but it does. It contributes. It contributes quite a bit. Gender-bended Michael is almost better. <laughs> no, but there's something I'm about... I'm so flattered. <laughs> I'm so glad. There's something about the way... Yeah, and this could be psychoanalyzed, but, like, the way he's so sweet in the beginning... And the way you didn't even know the capacity for darkness. There's something mad luxurious about a character with a capacity for darkness. Oh my gosh. Where you're like, ooh. I mean, he is your same Myers-Briggs. That's true. So. I don't know if it would... Now that you bring that up, we're both INTJs. I don't know if it would work us <laughs> dating. But I, I guess it's more like he feels like my soul person. <laughs> like, yeah. You were like the most I feel him. you, Michael. He's much cooler than I am. I though. love it. <laughs> Okay, now it's for the very intense. Oof. 30 questions in 30 seconds. Favorite color? Black. Best year of school? Fourth grade. Favorite holiday that isn't Christmas? Um, SB Mad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Favorite vegetable? Um, steamed broccoli. Current TV show? Ooh. <laughs> Big Mouth? Elementary school crush? Griffin Young. Favorite Disney movie? Coco right now? Favorite game? <laughs> life, but not the board game. <laughs> Just living life. White, dark, or milk chocolate? Milk. What instruments do you play? A little bit of piano. Past or future? Past. Favorite day of the week? Uh, Thursday. Favorite planet? <laughs> Pluto. Uh, color you would dye your hair? Would not dye my hair. Have you seen a ghost? No, it felt presence though. Hogwarts house? Slaying. Favorite Toy Story film? Toy Story 3, for oh, sure. Oh, you did it! Nicely done. All I, the way to number 17. Very impressive. I got to number 17? Yeah. That's, like, my number. What? That's, this like, my, magical. like, yeah. Oh, my wow, gosh. This podcast is blessed. We are now launching into our topic for today, which is book-to-movie adaptations. Oh, yeah. Emma had, like, the longest list of ideas. This is which a theme is in my so life. so on brand. This <laughs> is a theme in my life, okay? I go a little overboard. And then, as we were doing this, we came up with so many. There might be a part two at some future date. But anyway, so we're going to talk about the good ones, the bad ones, whatever. But I want us to all know if you read the book before or saw the movie before. Oh, Because yeah. I have a, quite the mix. Some of these I might not even know. But before we launch in, just... General thoughts, book to movie adaptations. I feel like I have complaints about the complaints, but just I want to hear what you guys think before launching in. Mm, it just really depends. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I think it depends on, like, what age I was when the mm. adaptations were coming out. Like, as a child or, a, I don't know, teenager, I was very forgiving and would just watch the movie and love it anyways because I was a fan of the books. Yeah, yeah. But now I feel like I'm a little more critical, I guess. Hmm. Just because I've seen more movies, maybe. Sure. But... Yeah, I tend to be pretty critical, especially with things, like with characters. Um, something that I relate to a lot in books is, like, characterization, the depth of character, the relationships. A lot of times those are the things that are cut for time. I also appreciate when something takes place over a long time and you kind of get a build-up 
like a slow burn of things. So that's often cut. But films often bring things to the table that weren't there in the book. So, for example, I love film scores. Mm. So for a lot of these, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, like the score really made this and that wouldn't be there with, you know, that wasn't there in the book and it contributes a lot. Or um, one of my categories is like an actor who really just took this role and ran with it. Sometimes actors' best roles are like book adaptations that they kind of interpreted in their own. So sometimes they transcended the book character and they're like, they're that character. I think there's something to be gained from both media. Cool, yeah. I feel like I'm kind of the opposite. I feel like when I was younger, I was really harsh and critical and I really care about everything from the book needs to be in the movie. And I think, I don't know if it was in my film class or if I just heard this in college or whatever, but movies are just a new medium to tell this story. And what's the point of just having everything from the book just put right on to the screen? Like that just takes away from the point of reading a book and like your own imagination. So I think sometimes like we can be a little bit too harsh with it because it's like, oh no, this is telling the story through a new lens, through other people. So you can't just judge the movie on how it failed the book. You know, like, how do you understand this new story through this new lens, through this new concept? So as we go through this, it's fine if you bash (laughs) the movie because it was unfaithful to the book or whatever, but just a different way, just because I think too often people only see book-to-movie adaptations as horrible or, like, it has to be faithful to the the plot of the book and to every character. But it's like, oh, no, what if we looked at some of these movies as, like, just... A different way of telling the story and it doesn't have to inherently be worse because yeah. books by definition are able to tell better fuller stories because they don't have to stay to a two-hour running time so i think we'll just go lauren emma me okay well first one i have to talk about of course is the godfather oh mm. that's one of mine have, okay yep I'll, when it comes around to me i'll add whatever you don't have um so of course i saw the movie before the book Many times. Um, I got the book for Rachel for her birthday, and I think you started it and didn't get very far. And then uh, I got it from the library, and I was like, okay, we're going to read it yep. because we have to. Book club for one book. And there were, I mean, I feel like I can't judge the movie based on the book since I watched the movie first. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was more like I was judging the book based on the movie. Um, but I thought they translated it really well to screen. Like, it was really closely followed, and then... The parts they couldn't include, they put that in the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is one thing that I thought was interesting, I realized reading this book, is books can be, like, a lot more sketchy than movies. <laughs> yeah. Because there's no, like, book editing. Right. Or, there's like, no rating yeah. system. Rating system, yeah. And so reading the book, I was like, oh, <laughs> I was not ready for that. <laughs> I was not <laughs> expecting that. So there's that. And there's more language also in the book. Right. Because um, I... Godfather was in the 70s, and they really didn't. Yeah, the second one has some, but the first really doesn't. Still very little yeah. language in yeah. both. It's true. In the third one, there's more. But it's Still like less than 10 efforts, like that. yeah. <laughs> That's our standard. Less than 10 efforts. <laughs> it's actually less than 11. <laughs> <laughs> that was what? Well, All the presidents met. <laughs> Rated PG had 11 efforts. Yeah. So now Love that. We can watch anything with 11 efforts. <laughs> Well, Will Hunting has over 100, so... <laughs> yeah, we're working up to that. Yeah. It's practice. Oh, there were some things about the book I liked better. I liked Michael and Kay's relationship in the book better. Mm-hmm. Agree. Um, have you read the book? I have not, but relationships often... Yeah. yeah I feel yeah. strongly about that. Um, in the movie, it just seems like Michael's way more, like, domineering. It seems like Kay 
is just, like so dumb mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah, just she like is. the dicks. Yeah. yeah. But in the book, she's very intentional about what she does. Yeah, it gives her much better characterization and. Um, I don't know, I just appreciate their relationship way more yeah. in the book. So that was one thing that I wish could have translated a little better to the movie. But other than that, I think the movie did a wonderful job. Yeah, I'll just jump in and do my yeah. Godfather notes. I also watched the movie first. It was an excellent adaptation, reading it and being like, oh wow, they not only did the story, but like the mood and so much of the characterization. I feel like it cut a lot that was unnecessary. Like a lot of the side characters or like tertiary characters that had, yes, all these backstories. That was such a good move (laughs) on Coppola's (laughs) part to just get rid of those. And the book did like clarify some things or expound on certain characters, which was helpful, but I feel like they just really nailed it. Like you don't have to read the book to... Like, I didn't feel like it added so much that I was like, mm-hmm. oh, if you just watch The Godfather, you're missing out on these whole other levels. So yeah, I thought it was very, very impressive. I did forget about the Michael K relationships. That mm-hmm. was a good thing to point out. But on the whole, I feel like this is the standard of book-to-movie adaptation because mm-hmm. it stays really faithful, but it also just expands it in a way that, like, only the film can. Mm-hmm. The first one kind of category that has a few movies in it, but mainly one, is adaptations that were held together by a standout actor who, like, took the role to a new place. And for that, I would say Fight Club mm-hmm. um, with Brad Pitt. I forgot that was a book. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's an excellent book. It's one of my favorites. It's not one of my favorite movies, but, yeah, no, he, he plays the character of Tyler, and he plays it very, very well. Brings a lot of intensity. Um, it's hard, too, because with, with actors like that, you c- kind of start to know them as themselves, not the character. But he was young enough where I think it wasn't that effect yet. It's not just, like, Brad Pitt playing a character. Sure. Um, and the other one I would say for that is Girl Interrupted, which is a great book. The movie's a little more... I feel like it's not as real. It's not as gritty, necessarily, as the book was. It, it just... Some of the some of the truth, it's based on somebody's personal experience, some of the truth of it kind of gets lost, but Angelina Jolie. Oh, I didn't realize I was doing Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. <laughs> Angelina Jolie in that one. Absolutely incredible. Standout actress. Truly makes the film. Okay, another one. I wanted to mention Jane Austen since I've read... On my list, yeah. I've read a few Jane Austen books and watched their movies and there's lots of different movies adaptations too like bbc always has like five different versions and but i did want to mention pride and prejudice the one i don't know what year it was the most recent adaptation Keira knightley yes um i saw that movie before the book um i just love that movie so much it's so beautiful Keira knightley is so beautiful does such a good job um I kind of, it's one that I wish that I could read the book and not have seen mm-hmm. anything so I could like imagine mm-hmm. Lizzie as someone besides Keira Knightley. The characters in that movie have become who I think the book characters are, but I do think they did a really good job of just creating the atmosphere and making it just so beautiful and just wonderful Jane Austen. Um, but then I also wanted to mention Sense and Sensibility, which is one that I read the book first and then watched the movie, and I think they did a really, really good job with that one, too. That one has Emma Thompson, and she is so fabulous. She her. is perfect. She's amazing. She plays... I even forgot what the character's name was, but... I did, too. <laughs> she does <laughs> she's a perfect amazing. job. She's exactly what I pictured um, the character to be, and so I really thought that was a well-done adaptation I think it was 1995-ish, but, um, and they haven't really redone that one since that adaptation, but 
I feel like every couple years there's another, like Emma just came out again, mm-hmm. um, which I loved, but I haven't read the book, so I can't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that, and Jane Austen remakes are hit and miss. Sometimes they do yeah, a horrible job. absolutely. But these two, I wanted to mention that I did really enjoy them, and I think they were very true to the book, and of course yeah. there are some differences, but I think they were acceptable differences. I just looked it up, and Emma Thompson's character is Eleanor Dashwood. Eleanor. Mm-hmm. Eleanor. And that was Pride and Prejudice specifically. I, I don't know Sense and Sensibility as well, but that specific adaptation with Keira Knightley um, is one on my list of adaptations that might be better than the book. Ooh. And okay. a lot of that is score, because mm. that's one of my favorites. I believe Pride and Prejudice score is Dario Marianelli. Um, with the main the main song being Dawn, but it's, it's so that good. it's yeah it's Keira Knightley it's the cinematography is beautiful and the setting yeah I would agree with that I don't think I've ever seen it Oof. I'm just not a huge you Jane Austen like Jane which Austen? is my own fault I know it's as far as Jane Austen yeah it, it, it I feel like it sometimes this is gonna sound horrible but it kind of humanizes Jane Austen okay things where sometimes I feel like it's very just because of the time that it was written and also the time that she's writing about it's there's a lot of posturing and there's a lot of you know putting it's on a certain show too and intelligent for me it's no <laughs> no it's more like you're able to see the human element like you're able to relate to the characters as a modern day person without you know what i mean even though you don't have the same social constraints like kind of like what sometimes people do with shakespeare yes yeah a little bit more accessible where it, yeah no it feels very accessible you're able to see like her as just a person and um, yeah, I, I find that movie very relatable because I sometimes struggle with Jane Austen as well. Okay, other excellent adaptations. Um, <laughs> I just have so many things on my list. I do love um, Atonement. Since we mentioned mm-hmm. Keira Knightley, I'll kind of speak to that. That's the same director, isn't it? Oh, I'm not sure. I think it is. Not so watch Knightley. it. Anyway, um, that that one I didn't mention before whether I'd read stuff first. Um. But with this one, I watched the movie, um, parts of scenes from the movie before I read the book, and then I read the book, and then I read the full movie, because um, I knew it was going to be a very beautiful movie. And I do, I think that was an excellent adaptation. I don't think it's necessarily better than the book, but I think it's comparable. Hmm. Um, and it's a tricky one to do, because it takes place over a long period of time, and also there's a lot of... There's a lot about relationships and regret and angst and you know, there's a lot of ter- inner turmoil that is conveyed in the book that would be difficult to do in the film, but I think they did a very good job with kind of the limitations of that medium. Um, it is Joe Wright who did Pride and Prejudice with Keira Knightley and then oh, Atonement with Keira Knightley. Look at that. I think he really um, likes Keira Knightley. <laughs> don't we all? It's true. Another one that I'll mention, it's, it was hard for me to stay away from this genre. It's the genre that I like to call gay movies. <laughs> <laughs> but these two, it's a similar thing. Um, call Me By Your Name and also Brokeback Mountain. Um, both of those I saw the movie before I read the book. And they're both shorter. Uh, call Me By Your Name is just a short book, but Brokeback Mountain, I believe, is a novella. I believe it's short okay. enough to be classified as such, but... Yeah, both of those were excellent adaptations, great scores. Um, yeah, the the books, after I read the book, I, they're, they're excellent books too, but I think, like Lauren was saying earlier um, about Pride and Prejudice, I definitely pictured the characters and mm. um, quality books that were turned into quality films, I guess. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Okay, 
my uh, first original pick. Um, it's Coraline, because I just read the book. Mm. Um, this is when I saw the movie first. I watched it in 2018. And all I heard about it is that it was so spooky. And so I was, like, really excited to watch it. I feel like it's maybe a little bit overhyped for me. It didn't scare mm. me that much. <laughs> well, it's for kids. There are, like, definitely spooky elements. But mm. there are, like, people who are my age who are, like... It's for kids, but it's literally the scariest film I've ever seen. And I'm like, <laughs> was it overhyped on the spook factor alone, or overhyped quality-wise too? Um, I mean, it's is it Henry Selnick? I think he's like very Oof. Tim Burton-y. I don't know. So I I appreciate like the animation and the way it was done, and it is like definitely spooky. The yeah. whole button eyes, like there's some really scary parts to it. I just think it like was a little disappointing. I wanted to be more scared. Yeah. Um, I also really don't like Dakota Fanning, and <laughs> she voices Coraline. So, like, I really didn't like Coraline, the character, yeah. in the movie. But then when I read the book, I, like, really bonded with her, and I was like, oh, I really like Coraline. So part of me wishes that it had just stayed a book, or that I had read the book first, because I yeah. think I love Neil Gaiman. I feel like it was a really well done as a book, but didn't translate as well to a movie. Again, people who love it would probably disagree, but overall it's just kind of meh. I think I would have preferred to just have read it, so. Which is rare. I feel like horror as a book is harder to do mm-hmm. because yeah. it's you don't have, like, the music and the jump scares and... Shout out to... Oh, dang it, now I can't remember his Steven? name. Who, yeah, <laughs> Stephen, Stephen King. King. Oh, yes. I was like... <laughs> The literally, like, <laughs> the, the horror author. author. Like, wow. Shout out to that person <laughs> who I was going to name drop, and now I can't. Yeah, I knew you meant. Yeah, um, yeah I, I agree with that. Yeah. And honestly, like, I wouldn't have said that I dislike Coraline or that I thought it was overhyped, but, like, I think I would be pretty on board with that. Okay, I have to mention Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I was going to, and then I was like, Lauren is the better authority on I this. I got a whole category just for popular, contentious series. <laughs> <laughs> and Hunger Games is at the top of that list. Yes, I was a huge Hunger Games fan in high school. I I just read it over and over again, the first book especially. And when it, the movie came out, went with my friends to the midnight premiere when it was actually midnight premiere. Like I feel like mm-hmm. now it's like, oh, come see it at 6 p.m. The yeah. night before it comes out. Right? Midnight premieres are not a thing anymore. Did you ever go to a midnight premiere? I went to one. It was for the last Harry Potter. Same. That's the only one I've been mm-hmm. to. <laughs> Waited in like a huge line. Actually, it might have been the sixth. But yeah, and then I did not even see the last movies. I hate it when they split the last into two. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's stuff they're trying to fit in, but I feel like it's mostly for the money. And here's the thing. I feel like with the Harry Potter one, it's a big book. I yeah. have, a, that's like the, actually the movie I have a lot, the most beef with both movies. But the last one, like the last Hunger Games book didn't feel like it should have been. So no, that was no. like, that was kind of the trend at the time. Like I think Harry Potter did it and so right. then Hunger Games people were like, oh, we'll do it with Hunger Games yeah. too. And like The Hobbit also they put it into yeah. the extra movies. But... I'm going to speak about the first movie. Um, I really, as a, in high school, I really enjoyed the adaptation. Um, I thought that, I mean, so Jennifer Lawrence was way older than Katniss, which is the only problem I have with um, that characterization. Also, I felt like Jennifer Lawrence made it a little bit, she made Katniss a little more hysterical, like a little more, hmm, less cool and collected like she is in the books. But maybe that's more humanistic or more realistic Mm. for a 17-year-old girl or 16. I don't remember how old she is. But 
I thought one thing I loved about the movie was they have these perspectives, because the book is all about Katniss's perspective. It's told from her point of view. But in the movie, it was able to show, like, um, scenes from the game master's point of view, like mm. what they're doing yeah. to make things happen in the arena and the, how they're making these choices that in the book, Katniss has no idea why this is happening. Or um, So I did really enjoy the opening up that the movie provided and gave you a better idea of what's happening outside of Katniss's realm. Um, and then I also think they did a really good job um, with the characters and um, choosing actors that kind of matched what they were looking for. Um, I was in love with, I can't even remember. Pia? Josh Hutcherson? Josh. Yes. <laughs> Have I know it was going to be him and not Liam Hemsworth oh is my the real gosh. question. Oh my gosh, because you I know, know you too, too well. well. <laughs> yeah. I was definitely Team what? Pita. Team Pita? I'm also Team Pita. Emma. I'm Team Finnick. Wow. Rip. New team. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like most listeners have read yeah, the Hunger Games. Or at least I know. That was the most devastating death for me was Finnick, to be honest. I love Again, a haunting backstory, a little bit of darkness. Sensual. Yeah. <laughs> this is beauty. His beauty causes him pain. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Um, but yes, uh, that was one of the things that in high school, um, the bo- movie came out and I loved it, even though I was such a huge fan of the book, which I feel like lots of people don't like the movie adaptations. I feel like they, d- <laughs> they overall did. It's interesting how those movies... The, the style kind of changed because in the first movie I feel like they stayed really true to the mm-hmm. tone which was like when they're in District 12 it's yeah everything's very bleak. shaky yeah. bleak it's you know it, it feels very low budget even though it wasn't low budget um, and then they kind of moved into the capital and then as things started to become more and more in the capital then they wow that was, she's awake but she's just snorting um yeah it, it became it became much more bright lights much more sensational mm-hmm. the one the one scene that i had like i laughed out loud in the theater i remember i was like this is so ridiculous i don't know how how they didn't do it better but when they are on fire they're mm-hmm. you know they're in the not the actual arena, but they're, they're going just, on the chariots. Yeah, they're yeah. in the chariots doing the little parade, and then when they go on fire, like the special effects on that were so bad. Yeah. <laughs> like by this time, and for such a high budget movie, I'm like, we need to be past this. <laughs> like we need to. Could have done better. We need to get further with this, but no, I I agree. I think they did a pretty good job. I have another category that's adaptations that missed a certain element for me, but that were pretty good. Besides that, the big one that stands out to me. For that is the book thief, which is one of my favorites. Mm. I have a long list for this category, but read that. I've no, I read it. Oh, you did read I it. Read it. You last haven't seen the movie yet. Yeah, so the movie is a great. I really, I do like the movie a lot. The the difficult thing with that book is that it follows her life through, you know, from from like pre adolescence to adolescence, um, and they do a really good job with that with the actress of making her appear younger, kind of using her different hair styles to make her look younger. And, but the thing, the thing that I love about that book, Rachel and I have this in common, <laughs> I have a little bit of a preoccupation with death as like a figure <laughs> or like celebration of death or life and death. I don't know. So I, what I appreciate about that book is that the narrator is death and it's, there's a lot of commentary about life and there are really poignant things that the narrator says about the sanctity of life. And like, it's just very fascinating to hear the respect and the awe and even the affection that the narrator has for humanity and humans, and yet is, has this heavy task. Yeah, it's almost it's like so the narrator sad, becomes yeah. another character. For sure. Which is probably my favorite one. And it, 
it also creates a little bit of distance from the story almost where you're like you you are you're looking at it from a kind of a detached perspective where it's like no this is a part of it and this is a part of the how life works and yeah. it's a war so this happens i also remember from the very beginning you know what's going to happen at the end yeah like you know yeah. who's going to die you know who's going to live yeah so when i started i was like I'm not going to be, like, emotionally invested. I'm not no, you totally end. are. At the end, I was, like, sobbing. And I was like, yeah. how did he do this? How did he tell me how no, it was going to end? And I'm still poignant. so sad. Yeah. It's a very poignant book. It's very meaningful. And I feel like it also kind of creates a healthy relationship around death. And mm-hmm. Yeah, and that you're still sad about it. And yet, there's also kind of an acceptance. At least for me, with the book, end of the book, it was like there was an acceptance with some of the deaths that happen. Yeah. So, yeah, in the movie they still have a narrator and it's like a deep masculine voice that sounds like a powerful presence. And they might even, I don't remember if they mentioned that it's death. I don't know how they would do that. Like, Hey, it's me. Death here. It's your boy. (laughs) It's your boy. I'm killing people. I'm taking the souls. (laughs) That was a little bit of Ludo there. I got a little preview. Ludo came out. It was actually more, the woman from the chocolate episode of Spongebob, but, um, <laughs> what a reference. Yeah. I always hated it. <laughs> anyway. It's so from the, <laughs> from the movie, it, there wasn't as much, I guess death wasn't as much of a, pre- well, death was a presence, but death as a character wasn't as much of a presence. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, they did have this narrator, but the, the detachment, it's, it's still very much like the main characters are the protagonists. It's not, death as kind of this other thing and there isn't that same artistic experience that you're able to have with the book but like great casting great you know it was like jeffrey rush incredible yeah no great performances great acting like a lot of things but for me the thing that makes that one of my favorite books and yet i don't i really list that as my favorite movie is that element okay my next one is muppet christmas carol (laughs) i I didn't know that was a book christmas Christmas Carol. carol Oh, I thought it was specifically Muppets. Muppets. I was like, uh, I let the record state. I do know that Christmas Carol is a book. I read it. (laughs) So this is what I watched the movie before I read the book again. Um, Obviously, I grew up loving it and it was just part of the tradition. But I read the book aloud. I like went through this phase at like late elementary school, early junior high, where I would just read books aloud to my dad. (laughs) Like I read To Kill a Mockingbird out loud and then I read... Christmas Carol, and then I just remember being, sh- like, shocked, because I had Muppets Christmas Carol memorized, right? <laughs> and I would read the passages and be like, they lifted this whole, like, chunk, and it is literally in the movie. It's like what Gonzo says, these, like, conversations are word for word in the movie. Michael Caine is, like, screwed for me always. He does such a good job. <laughs> is it more played down and for children and more, like, lighthearted? Absolutely. But I feel like it is one of the best adaptations just because it, like, literally lifts those passages from the books and just makes it really come alive and really accessible for kids because I feel like a lot of the other Christmas Carol movies mm-hmm. that I've seen are, like, very dark, very scary, and, like, that is part of it. And there, there are, like, elements of that. And I'm not trying to say, like those ones are terrible or don't have their place. But I just remember watching other ones and being like, this is not as engaging or meaningful for me as the Muppet version. And I get into (laughs) discussions with this with Disney Club members all the time because there's a definite line, like, you either love it or you hate it. So (laughs) The world is divided into two groups of people. (laughs) Exactly. But I always felt like I will stand by it being an excellent adaptation. Actually, it's time for the sponsor story. Oh, nice. (laughs) There are so many. 
First, I'd like to mention my first experience with FURB, which for the listeners, if they don't know what that is, because I didn't know what it is, so I'll just give you the context. Like, like I said, I'm not usually friends with my roommates, and also I don't like group games, group activities. Just I'm just not into that sort of thing. <laughs> so I received a text, and we hadn't really, like... I think I still wasn't 100% sure which one was Rachel and which one was Lauren <laughs> at that time. And by the way, the group text was named Roommates Yar. <laughs> Yar later changed to Shroomies. Yeah, and then later changed to Not Scott, which was the name of our <laughs> landlord. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was like aloof in my room, whatever, and got a text that was like, I wish I could find the exact one, but it was like, Ferb, F-R-B. At, you know, 3 o'clock, it was like on a Sunday. At 3 o'clock, attendance required. So-and-so is, is you know, doing the game. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, oh, no. Your worst nightmare. And then I think, yeah, I think you texted after in parentheses, like, for those new people, at Emma. <laughs> FRB stands for forced, forced roommate bonding. And I was like, that is terrible. I was like, this is literally like if somebody designed a personal hell for me, it would look an awful lot like this with some Thanksgiving elements involved too. Cause that's oh my also my personal hell. So I was like, there's no way. It's like, this is a weekly thing and the game. I was like, this is terrible. How do I get out of my contract? Yeah. I was like, Oh no. I, I even texted a few people. Like, I texted my mom about it, and then I texted the friend that I had been living with before and was like, you will not believe. I just sent, like, a screenshot, and it was like, she was like, stop it. Oh, my god! And I was like, this is terrible. And it ended up being fine. Because the thing is, like, Rachel is fine with people belly aching about stuff. And well, being... And, like, the forced roommate bonding. That's it's tongue-in-cheek. Yes, it's it's There's an awareness of how, how it is. But, yeah, the games were very consensual. Like, you could opt in, opt out. And what I learned through that was, like, the activities were very much in line. That's kind of how I realized, like, I could be friends with these people because the activities were very much in line with the sort of thing that I would choose to do. We're, like, watching episodes of Arthur. Um, and not, like, Arthur and Merlin, like, Arthur from PBS Kids. Like, which is literally, show. like, what I had done a few weeks before. Or, you know, let's watch Planet Earth and collage using National Geographic. And I'm like, have you guys been doing research on me? I'm like, this is what I do. So it, rather than it being, like, torturous, there were torturous elements. But oh rather than it being torturous, it was more, yeah, it was it was a good time to kind of get to know each other so yeah that was my initial like oof. I was like woof this is gonna be so bad another time when I was like when I realized oh, these people are really like my safe people is when one of one of my times I had just gotten out of treatment and I went um back to campus to return just to return some library books and I used to work at the library so I knew a lot of people who employees there and I was really, I had a lot of anxiety going back to the campus, um, partly because I was going to be seeing people. I had done some weight restoration at my treatment center, so I looked different. Um, and I knew that. So I was like, oh, I really hope I don't see anyone. And I also don't want to answer questions about, like, how I've disappeared for the last th four months. And so I was walking down the hall, and I just hear Emma, and I was like, no. <laughs> like, my heart just sunk. Like, already, like, my palms got clammy. I was like such a visceral physical reaction and then I turned around and it was Rachel and, and it got worse no, 
No, that's the moment that I realized, I was like, because in my head when I had turned, when I was still not facing her, I was like, there's absolutely nobody that I would be okay with seeing right now. Absolutely nobody in my mind that that this would be okay for. But then I turned around with Rachel and it was like such relief and like such a safe space, like such a safe person where I was like, oh no, like, like a a person or a group of people can be your safe place. I was thinking about, in preparation for this, I was thinking about my, like, quintessential, like, Rachel and Lauren memories. And one of my favorite Lauren things is I was, I was in, I was at a 24-hour treatment center, and I couldn't, I couldn't access email for, like, the first little while, so they're, like, specific emails times. And I think the first person to email me was Lauren. And basically, like, the only thing I can describe it as is, like, (laughs) this first email that I received like John Smith <laughs> softcore porn <laughs> like porn for the LDS woman oh who gosh. likes to follow him it's like it was like gifts of his hair flowing in the wind <laughs> or him clothed, but fully clothed sexual, like yes. him like posed sensually on a rock or whatever <laughs> and there were probably like 16 pictures and then I scrolled down to another, like, the next email. And, I mean, part of it is probably, like, what do you say to someone for their treatment? <laughs> like, but um, she t- took stalker pictures of our landlord. <laughs> like, she saw him walking around, and she just took, like, as if she was the paparazzi of, like, taking him walking. Oh so I was like, yeah, no, that that was exactly what I needed at that time. Okay. We have <laughs> quite the history with Scott the Landlord. We sure do. We that sure is, do. I could fill up a whole hour. It really could. <laughs> I'm going to talk about another children's movie based on children's books. And I've already talked about it on the podcast before. <laughs> but it's Curious George. <laughs> the one with Will Ferrell and Drew Barrymore. Um, I love this movie so much. It's so wholesome. <laughs> but I loved... One thing I loved about it... So Curious George, like, has a whole bunch of picture books. Yeah. And this movie takes elements from each of those books and puts it into the movie, Aww. which is something I love about... I don't know. I feel like a lot of movies that are based on children's books kind of do that. But there's things as you're watching the movie, if you grew up with the books, which I did, you end up like... Hey, I remember that. Being the Leo meme. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're like, oh my, that's just like what happened in that book. And, um, But it's so, it's different. Like, it's a totally different story because it's not based on just one book. It has its own unique, I don't know, I mean, the characters are the same. Some of the characters are different, but yeah. it has this whole different thing that's never been in a, in a Curious George book before, but it has all these elements that are homages to the original books that is just ties it in really well and I just think it was really adorable and I just love that movie. (laughs) I like how you've been pretty liberal with the spoilers and then for Curious George you're like there's this other element (laughs) in it like not wanting to spoil Curious George. I mean I haven't seen it yet so. I have not either. I feel like that's why I can't and, like, lots of people haven't read all the books, so I can't be like, oh, the remember this You like book. the man with the yellow hat? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what Has a girlfriend. Well, <laughs> <laughs> he does. Oh, like, wow. Oh now, talking about celebrity crushes, should have talked about man with the yellow hat. Oof. Catherine and I watch so many just barely because her son loves them. <laughs> and she hates him, and I adore him. Oh. The, like, TV show version, man with the yellow hat. He gets a shout-out for but sure. But it's not Will Ferrell in the TV Well, version, right? it's not. Going along with the children's... Basically, I'm just taking what people said before me to narrow down my long list. I'm just <laughs> letting it flow. So going along with children's 
books that turn into movies. And I think, no, some of these I saw beforehand. There are three that stand out in my mind as adaptations that might be better than the actual book. Two Roll Doll, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, original. No, <laughs> Emma, no. What? Uh-oh. You like yes. Tim Burton one better? Oh, yes. 100%. Okay, we could discuss that because there are things. People, people reject it immediately, and I disagree with that. For me, my preference, I feel like it's sure to the book. I feel like it's more the sentimental. One? The first one. No, 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 no. The second one's way more true to the book. Okay. I mean, I don't necessarily mean details. I mean, like, the feeling, the the whimsy of it. Okay, okay. It, it's, it feels very Roald Dahl. Like, his his okay. I can writing is very much like these children in a world, in a cruel, cold world of, you know, of crazy adults. Like, that's, I feel like that's very much what it feels like. But we could argue that. Matilda <laughs> is another one that I feel, the book is great. I'm not saying, like, the book is terrible, but, like, they really took that and ran with it, maintained a lot of the silliness of Roald Dahl and kind of the, again, the whimsy, um, but while still making it watchable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also Holes, mm. I think is a, and that's one I think that I watched, I think I watched Charlie and the Chocolate Factory before reading it. And then really? Matilda, I think I read it first. Um, and then Holes, I definitely watched first, but it's, yeah, it's a great book. It's fine, but something about Holes just, the movie just hits right. Have you guys seen that one? <laughs> oh, I can fix that. It's yes. been a long time. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, it's, it's been a while since Kay, I... I wanted to be Kissing Kate Barlow. We all want, I mean, has that dream really died? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. It hasn't, it's true. It's, it's the, the reason, reason I keep why buying why lipstick amazing. that I don't wear. I still watch Western movies. So yeah. Oh, my gosh, amazing. So it all I started with Holes. <laughs> So there it good. is, the origins of <laughs> your Western love. I feel like this, our conversation, our argument, opens up an interesting thing because I posit that the 2000s version is so faithful to the text. So much yes. of, again, it's like Muppets Christmas Carol, so much of the actual words are like lifted and put into the script where like the songs that the Oompa Loompa sings, you can go read the book and it's like, oh it's all taken from the text mm -hmm. and there are a lot of changes and uh Willy Wonka's character is like a bit more fleshed out and he has a backstory yeah which I love <laughs> and there's like you know definitely it it, ta it diverts from the book in the end but you're saying that thematically it feels more like I'm feeling I'm feeling like tone -wise, yeah so like where it feels a little more so to me the 2001 even though there's not anything explicitly so it's it feels very futuristic. Mm -hmm. um, where Roald Dahl manages to toe this line where things are very much outside of the ordinary, they're outside of the traditional, and yet it doesn't feel futuristic to me, his his writing. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, the for example, like the glass elevator and that, you know, going all the way up or basically the whole factory. Obviously, those are things that are outside, but it feels more like it exists in the realm of imagination rather than in the realm of, like, Futuristic technology. technology. Yeah. And so to me, Tim Burton's adaptation, which I'm not hating on Tim Burton's adaptation, <laughs> but I don't necessarily, I feel like it's kind of almost a standalone as, as detailed and as correct as it gets the details. It almost feels like it's, it's separate thing where for me, Char Charlie and the chocolate factory feels like closely tied to the book yeah. in, in feeling, in yeah. emotion. So it's this interesting thing of a book adaptation should it be faithful to the actual word text or yeah. should it be faithful to like more of the feeling? And to the meaning and the, yeah. So the interesting. The sentimentality, whatever. Something to ruminate on. Yeah. 
My next one is going to be, I should just carry it through with children's literature, but I'm jumping back around to another scary book, The Haunting of Hill House, which I originally wasn't going to talk about, but then talking about scary books, I was like, The Haunting. And it has such a good movie adaptation. <laughs> so I know neither of you know anything about this. Yeah, neither book nor film. <laughs> but the, the book, um, I watched the movie first, and then there was a Netflix long series about mm-hmm. it, and then I read the book. And all of them are amazing. <laughs> and they're pretty different from each other. The book is, like, pretty close to the movie. Like, the movie's pretty faithful. And Shirley Jackson, who wrote it, really liked the movie adaptation. But also, what I want to talk about is the series, which is very different from the book. The book follows four people who come to a haunted house. And one is, like, a psychic. And one is, like, a he's really interested in the paranormal. And one is, like, <laughs> this younger guy who, like, owns the house he inherited it but he like doesn't really care and he's like a little bit irreverent and then the the main girl that you follow who's like a little bit off and you like don't really know what's going on with her and so it follows them and their interactions with the house and that's what the movie does too and then the netflix series follows a family who lives in hill house and who like they experience trauma there's like stuff that goes down and then it follows it, like, does a series of flashbacks. So you, like, know them as their adult selves, and then you also, like, see what happened in the house. And yeah. they, it's just so brilliantly done, and I sob in every episode, and it's also so scary. It's so good. And that's what I love. Like, the book is very scary, which is so hard to do. I'm literally adding it to my Goodreads list. Yes! I'm so scary. happy! <laughs> the movie is, is, like, it's old. It's, I think it's, like, 1969, maybe? Is it Shirley Jackson? Yeah. Okay. And, but it is, like... It's old and it's pretty slow, but it's, like, pretty scary. It's got some good parts in it. And then the Netflix series is so scary. I think it's the scariest thing I've seen. Because, like, there's a lot of movies that I watch that I think are really scary. But the more I watch them, the more I, like, I become numb to the scares. Yeah. Yeah. what's happening. But in the series, there's, like, the obvious big scares, but they place ghosts throughout that you don't notice. And so, like, the fifth time you're watching it, speaking from experience, you're, like, wait a second there's a ghost back there and it's so scary because <laughs> you just don't notice them you spook um, yourself it's true it's amazing i get scared tears all the time but, scared tears yeah oh yeah <laughs> it's funny you're just so scared to your ice water <laughs> it's never happened to- well it's happened in real life like not with a film <laughs> with the mouse yeah oh, sad. my friends all witnessed some scared tears oh my gosh <laughs> when there was a but it's nest. not like oh like traumatic crying it's just like my, uh, they, I get goosebumps. Yeah. And then, like, and my you're like, just oh, startling. You're like, oh, it's so scary. I love it. Yeah. But um, the other fun thing about the Netflix series is each of the children represent a stage of grief. Ooh, and so it's I so love fun. stuff like yes, that. Yes, it's just, like, the characters are so dynamic, and the actors are so good, and it has Henry Thomas, and I love him. <laughs> my hero. Is it a TV series, basically? It's, it's like, yeah, it's, I, I don't know what this, like, I feel like Stranger Things feels more like a TV show. The Haunting of Hill House, like... They're longer episodes. They're longer episodes. It's, like, there's just one... So maybe, like, a Handmaid's Tale sort of thing. Yeah, it's, like... Yeah. It's, like, a long movie series. Like, it's not quite a movie because there's multiple episodes and installments, but... I just... I love The Haunting in every form, and I'm just so happy that it's been done They're continuing to... Yes. Like, this could have been so terrible, but they are so faithful to, like... Yeah. This is where they're, like, oh, it's not the plot of the book, but they're so faithful to... The themes and, like, yeah. the meaning and the, the scariness of it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I love it. For my last one, I will just talk about Percy Jackson because it was one in high school that I was not okay with. I was a big fan of the books, 
and mm-hmm. read all the books, and then they made these movies. I was so excited for the movie. Like, I remember me and Sarah, we were always just like, oh my gosh, the movie's coming out. So excited for the movie. And then we went and saw the movie, and I was like, that was not what I wanted it to be. Like, they really, they changed a lot of plot points. I was going to say, they, like, reworked the plot. Yeah, there were some things <laughs> happening that I was like, what was this? Like, that was not in the book at all. And uh, um, the one thing, speaking of characters that were not made as you expected, Annabelle did not have blonde hair, and that was not okay. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about the more obvious one, which is Grover. Oh, yeah. Grover <laughs> was black. Grover was black, which wasn't... I don't know if that was ever... I don't know. He was described as, like, kind pale of nerdy, pale... Zits all over his face. Yeah, glasses. Uh-huh. And they made him into, like, this cool... He was, like, buff. Kid. He was, yeah. like, toned. Yeah. yeah. But for me, the bigger problem was Annabelle, for some reason. Interesting. <laughs> she okay. wasn't blonde, and uh, she just was not what I was picturing at all. Yeah. They kind of made her into, like, this... Again, like, this cool, buff girl, like... Yeah. Super fighting where Annabelle, like, she's cool, but she was more about, like, her smarts and yeah. using her brain rather than her brawn. And they totally flipped that, and I was not okay with it. Um, but, yeah, that was when, like I said earlier in high school, I usually accepted, I guess I was mostly thinking about Hunger Games, but this was a case that I did not accept it. <laughs> and I, I don't know if they made any more movies because it did so badly, but... I mean, the plot was fine, like, the new kind of story that they created, but it, the thing is, like, they were so, they just took random aspects, and I think they even took, did they take elements from different books, too? I think I so. I feel like there were later ones where there, it was like, that was from the third book. <laughs> that um, was out like, of order. Yeah, where they, they took certain elements. It's almost like either redo it completely, or try to stay a little true to it where they kind of did this in-between thing where at the beginning you're like this is going to be exactly the same wow kind of like you were talking about with um the Muppets with Christmas Carol um <laughs> where they were like exact lines that were said or you know and you're like oh yeah no, it's going to be exactly like it and then it's like the entire main momentum it of totally the movie is entirely different way. yeah yeah so I didn't that was when I'll finish with one that I don't want. <laughs> Since I, I think everything else I did like. I, with that one, I I just wrote down as we were talking because I was like, man, that could be a whole other category. And that one definitely fits into it where I'm all for some eye candy in a movie. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. But like, sometimes I feel like the movie is ruined and quite a few on my list feel like that. And ruined is a strong word, but it feels like the main thing that doesn't stay true to the story is the is one of the protagonists being too attractive or like too conventionally attractive and a lot of times i feel like that comes into play with an older actor playing an awkward teenager or whatever mm-hmm. where they're just a little too clean cut and i i do i feel like logan lerman was that way with percy mm-hmm. where in my head i don't know when when he was at school he was like bullied and he you know he didn't find himself and then he really like blossomed at camp half-blood and he was like oh I'm actually really cool and yeah. it's kind of surprising when girls have a crush on him and it's like what me you know <laughs> where from the very beginning you're like this kid would never get bullied yeah. <laughs> like, he's way too beautiful he's way too beautiful it doesn't matter if he has dyslexia or ADHD <laughs> he's like very attractive what's nice about the books is you can picture them as you you gradually start to become attracted to them it's more where you're gradually realizing like oh okay yeah no they're not conventionally attractive but like all these things like why am I kind of into this character right now and I think I kind of want a little bit of that in the movie too because some of my favorite movies 
my favorite movie crushes are ones where at the beginning you're like, wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> like he's not hot. Right. And then as it goes on, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> I feel that way. This is like not a movie. BBC yes. Yes. <laughs> I feel that way with Matthew Crawley from mm-hmm. Downton Abbey, which happens in like the second episode, but he gets introduced as this like cousin mm-hmm. and you're like, I bet he's going to be hot. And then he comes in and you're like, <laughs> disappointed. I mean, you're like, he just looks like a lawyer. He just looks like a... <laughs> I don't know, not not that's ugly, but he looks like a scholarly like business guy, not and he's just cousin. no, yeah, like he's fine, but he's not the hot cousin. And then throughout the series, you really get to know him, and you're like, all right, Matthew, <laughs> I see you there. I feel like I just need to throw in a few that I won't discuss, but like I would feel sacrilegious to not mention them. <laughs> you would be Adaptations good. that might be better than the actual book, To Kill a Mockingbird. Ooh, um, Atticus- I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> See, here's the thing, is Gregory Peck, I feel like, really steals the show. He is amazing. However, the book is also very amazing. It is very amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's tough, because now I'm learning more about the white savior... For sure. It's not a ...element in film, yes. and I'm realizing, like, oh, that's a that's a trope that I tend to really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Let's unpack mm-hmm. that. So, I hesitate to <laughs> it's sing not... its praises too much, because it is not a perfect... Um, yeah, it's Agreed. definitely an, a figure of its time. Or a, yeah. It's a great yeah. book. It's not the best book yeah. <laughs> to ever be written. Um, but another one that I would say is A Little Princess, which I grew up watching, mm-hmm. but I had never read the book. I read that recently. The movie is incredible. The one that I really feel like I need to... Ooh, this is just a good book. The movie, you could take it or leave it. The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Very important. Um, great. Very educational. It's a nonfiction book. It's a woman talking about her story. They turned it into a movie, and it's like actors and stuff it's not like a documentary so it seems a little weird it's mm-hmm. like follows the journalist writing about their family like it's an interesting perspective it's fine but the book is excellent um has a lot of race discussion and kind of exploitation of um, people of color in medical field so great read but the one i really want to talk about is probably a monster calls for some just... reason it really speaks to me i really don't I really don't know. I, I read it for the first time when I was on a car trip and I was listening to the audiobook and it was just like, for some reason felt deeply meaningful to me. Like it's very, it, it feels like nostalgia. It really captures growing up. It really captures, you know, the darkness within yourself and finding ways to cope with things. And I, I don't know, like it was just really made an impact on me. And also it's, it's a meaningful, the way it came to be, um, so I want to say Siobhan Dowd. So I might totally butchering that name. I'm not sure. Um, so she was an author and she had already conceptualized the book and discussed it. And I think she even had a contract and then I think she passed away from cancer mm. and the book was still in its pretty early stages. I think there was a little bit of writing and then Patrick Ness, um, took over the project and finished the book for her. Wow. So, and kind of, you know, it's his own interpretation. And I think there's a foreword about that, but so it is kind of meaningful that way, too. They're good friends, I believe. Um, but then the film, yeah, it's it captures all of the, the elements that were meaningful to me from the book. You know, there's it's about a little boy who's in a lot of pain. His um, mother is possibly dying, and he's having this dream and interacting with this monster in the middle of the night. But is it a dream, or is he really interacting with the monster? I, we don't know. Um, and just the monster is kind of helping him through. It's like a very scary thing for him, but then also he's kind of helping him through his grief at his mother dying and also his grief at being misunderstood and 
his grief at just being like, at just growing up, you know, and having to deal with all the complicated, sad things that come along with that. Um, so yeah, it, it is, it is like kind of a larger budget film. And so it doesn't feel very like, sometimes I like a smaller film because it feels a little more personal. It feels, so it definitely doesn't have that. Like <laughs> there are some special effects, but I don't know. I think they did a really good job capturing the spirit of it. And I wasn't super attached to plot points or anything because I don't even really remember everything that happens. I more remember how it made me feel. And I remember watching the movie and being like, yes, this is the exact feeling that I had mm. reading the book. So I would recommend either. My last one is kind of another cheat because it's another Netflix long series, <laughs> but a series of unfortunate events. Oh, yeah. Um, so I knew that it was coming out. This is like 20. I reread all the books in like December of 2016. And then it was coming out in January of 2017. And I was living at the French house at the time. And I got terrible strep throat. Oh, no. And, like, Deb, like, it was so bad that Deb had to come get me and, like, take me to the doctor. And then it's contagious for, like, a day. So I just stayed at home. And it was, like, early enough in the semester that I didn't have any homework to do. This is the first time I had ever binged a show. But I watched all the episodes that had been released. It's just delightful. You've seen some of them. Have you ever watched? I watched the first couple episodes. Okay. But be- because of the star power in it, I, it was hard for me to get over that. Mm, I think okay. I would. I think if I gave it dedicated some time, yeah. then I would learn to appreciate that. But definitely, my favorite is the reptile room. So I've seen that. Okay. I think you've seen the best of the best. I really like it. I think if you know the series as a whole, they put so many fun Easter eggs, even from the very beginning, that like. It's worth reading all of them and then watching all of them um, just because you pick up on all these fun things. And I think that they do such a good job of adapting the books to these series. I love that they get two episodes per book. Like, I want them to do stuff like that for Harry Potter, you know, just like yeah. really explore. I feel like the casting is well done. The hard thing with the series Unfortunate Events, like, I feel like it was written very much in this early 2000s where it's like mm-hmm. every character's white. And what I love about the yeah. series is they've diversified it so much but it doesn't feel forced or tokenism or anything like yeah. that. And it's so fun. It's and like a I natural love it. transition. Yeah, absolutely. And Patrick Warburton is just <laughs> delightful. as lovely snicket. And I love, like, usually I, I have a hard time when they add a bunch of stuff to something that you love. Mm-hmm. And I feel like everything that they add makes sense within the world that uh, Daniel Handler has already built. Yeah. And, like, all this extra stuff that happens behind the scenes that you don't read about in the book, but you're like, oh, it could conceivably be going on. We just only get the Baudelaire side of it. Yeah. And it's just, I, I think it's such a fun world, and they do such a good job of it. It's, like, whimsical and mystical, and there's, like, a bit of a Wes Anderson fantastical type feel to it. I think it's very, very well done. In some ways, I think it enhances the books and makes, like, it's a little bit better than books. And Daniel Handler was very involved in the production of it, so it makes sense, but... I loved it. I'll, I'll have to watch it then. Because it, it is, it's a tall, it's a tall order. I love series of unfortunate events. Yeah. And there actually is that movie adaptation of which it. Which is horrible. Which is horrible. <laughs> I I watched it very young and I was, it was before I'd finished the series and I was very taken with certain aspects of it. But now, <laughs> looking back, I realized the error in yeah. my thinking. But. Okay, Emma, this has been so great. I did have a end question. Are there any books that you would want to be made into films that haven't oh. been yet? 
Just off the top of your head, if you have like one or two. <laughs> the Goose Girl would be so good as a movie. Yeah, that's a well. That was one that I was thinking maybe, but I don't want them to ruin it. I know that it's one is it's so it would be tricky to me that I don't trust anyone touching it. And the way that they explain the powers, it's so like not. I'm worried they would make it like. Phew, you know yeah. what I mean? Or like hearing a goose in her head where they make it so subtle and just seem like, yeah, no, like people can do that. that like sense. it just, it uh-huh. doesn't feel like a leap. Not forced. Oh, yeah. So beautiful. Another one that I saw is the thief Lord, which mm. is technically juvenile fiction. I believe Cornelia Funka. Yeah. But that book is incredible. Um, it's been a while since I read it. This year, I'm going to try to reread things that I've been saying are incredible, but actually haven't read since elementary school. Oh my gosh. To make sure that they're actually incredible. Yeah, no, I like it. Um, it's mostly an ensemble of children. So I, I, I think there could be some really good and, you know, scrappy street children. And I think there could be some really incredible acting. And also people who haven't, who aren't in the spotlight. Um, and the last one I would say, I love... And I'm going to say this name probably incorrectly, Khalid Hosseini, author of Kite Runner, Mm. um, author of Thousand Splendid Sons, a few others as well. I read all of his books. I adore them. They were like the ultimate book club book like 10 years ago. (laughs) Kite Runner is more from a male perspective, and they have made a film about that. And I think it's a very good film. It was not, it was not high budget, and I, it might not even be in English, Mm. Um, but, but it felt, it felt true to the it felt true to the book, but unfortunately, because it was so small and I think an international film, people didn't really, people don't really know about it. But A Thousand Splendid Sons is um, also very meaningful because it's, you know, same society, but I say society like it doesn't exist, but same, same government, same time, you know, same place, but like from female perspectives, hmm. not the same story, different, you know, different people involved, but it's very helpful for me when I'm learning about like intersecting identities and how, and how like these men in the kite runner were so struggled and everything was so difficult and so hard. And then you read about like, okay, well these women had all of that and had the disadvantage of being female. Um, and you know, so that book is very meaningful to me. They would have to do it very, very well, very tastefully deals with a lot of really sensitive subjects. So it would probably have a very mature rating. It's more about like, I know that not everyone is a reader and I know that that's not everyone's thing. And so it feels like the story needs to be accessible through other ways so that people can still get the benefit of the story. One I thought of just at the top of my head was the Uglies, Pretty Specials. Mm. Oh yeah, that would be good. If you read those. Mm -hmm. I just looked up an IMDb and it looks like something is in production. Oh, Uglies. I haven't read that book in a very long time and I don't think I even really finished the series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it would be an interesting thing to revisit in a different medium of film rather than books. My picks were Warriors. Did you guys ever read those? I did not. Oh man, Mm -hmm. I'm so Did you play it on the playground? Um... Not on the playground. Because I stayed away from those kids. Oh my gosh. Nothing filled me with fear like one of the Warriors kids running up to you. I was like, please don't talk to me. Oh my gosh. Me and my cousins, shout out to Megan, Natalie, we would would play it whenever we hung out together. But my nieces just got into them, and so I reread them with them this summer, and they still make me cry. They're fantastic books, and they would be great movies. They need to do that, but it needs to be done well. The other one I thought of was the Graveyard Book, because that is, like, <gasps> one of my favorite books. That's on the list, too! But 
I'm afraid of what they did to Coraline, and I yeah. love it. It's, like, too sacred to me. It's, like, they can't mm-hmm. touch it. Like, I almost rather it just be in the imagination of Neil Gaiman. Okay, well, I think we're gonna have to do a part two sometime. Okay. I don't know when, but... I can talk about literally it. anything. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, thanks for coming You're on. You're so welcome. So exciting. Georgia said it's goodbye, too. She's Georgia. just been chilling. She's yep. been so lovely. She's and only snoring. had a few snores. <laughs> and a few scratches on the door. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, where am I? Amazing. Okay, well, next month we will be uh, finishing up the movie alphabet. So stay tuned to that. And we have another exciting announcement. We also have an Instagram. It is abttg underscore podcast. So go give us a follow if you want to see when we have a new episode. That would be the best way to be updated if you're not regularly on your podcast app. Um, And if we reference something that has a visual, it'll probably be posted there. So uh, if you want to get more anyways back to the Godfather podcast than you already get once twice a month get it over on instagram and that is all you took the words right out of my mouth pg so tell me about yourself yeah i remember i asked about like your sisters you were like i got this many sisters i was like that's a lot and you were like yeah i know (laughs) just progressively getting higher the high-pitched voice